Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. In studio with me, the one, the only, the inimitable, Eugene Merman. Eugene, you're such a reliable guy for us. I love coming in. That's how I know so much about space now. Uh, this is going to be our Cosmic Queries edition. Yes. Love these. It's our it's our gift back to our listeners and our yeah. fans who send us questions. And and they're so avid. I mean, and we can't just let those go. Yeah. We just got to bring need, them in. They, we need to help them understand <laughs> the world and the space. So Cosmic Queries edition. All right. And for this one, we're talking about, uh, what's the theme? New discoveries. New Things disco- in the news. In the news. Science in the news. <clears throat> Ripped from the headlines. And Science, law, and order. I haven't seen any of these questions before, so right. I might not know some of the answers. I'll just tell you and yeah, say, yeah. skip it, go on to the next yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know something. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's 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 go for it. Megan wants to know, what number am I thinking of? Um, no, Megan wants to know, I recently read that MIT folks found bruises in the cosmic background radiation indicating regions where our universe may have hit other universes. How can our universe expand forever if there are other universes outside it? Yeah, so you can expand forever. And if you're in a higher dimension, mm-hmm. if you're embedded in a higher dimension, you can expand without anybody ever bumping into anybody. Mm-hmm. For example, consider a rubber sheet. Mm-hmm. And you take a rubber sheet and stretch it. Mm-hmm. You can make it as big as you want. You can put, take another rubber sheet, put it one inch below that one, and stretch that as big as you want. Two rubber sheet universes stretching forever, never colliding, never touching one but, another. But if it was at a slight angle, it would hit each. I think what she's well, saying well, is – Well, what I'm saying is you – yes, if it's slight, it would hit. But you can even – in an but even then higher it would bounce. Dimi- in an even higher dimension. It's just about how many dimensions you embed it in. Yeah. A two-dimensional rubber sheet in three dimensions, yeah, if you tip it, it'll – embed it in four dimensions, you can do this forever. Yeah. That's A. B, if you're near another universe, the gravitational effects permeate mm-hmm. – the mm-hmm. boundaries of your universe and can touch another universe. So in principle, we could feel the effects of other universes embedded in this higher dimensional space that could be simply the meta fabric yeah. of the multiverse. 
Right. Yeah. So you're saying ghosts are real and they're people in another universe <laughs> that happen to live inside your house in a rubber sheet universe. Except I never understood why the ghosts that people see are, are not naked because it means their clothing is ghost as well. Yeah. yeah why are they wearing clothing at all? I think because they might be make-believe. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's just one theory I have. Plus your right. outer skin layer is dead and your hair is dead. I mean, if you're a living ghost, you're why do they, why do they have, they I don't have know haberdashers? Why, and it's here. all really little, it's scary little girls. The whole thing doesn't really come together. <laughs> Next question. Okay. Uh, Silico asks. Uh, is, that, Ale- is that the cousin of Magneto? I don't know. Yeah. Silico? It's, it's a bunch of nonsense stuff. And now it says Alex from California. Oh, gotcha. That makes more sense. He's asking. Could, in the near future, entangled particles be used for non-delayed communication over vast distances? Yeah, so what happens in quantum physics Mm -hmm. is that particles can know about each other instantaneously at a distance. Mm -hmm. So that if you perturb one particle, the other particle, which is entangled with it, can alter instantaneously faster than the speed of light. Like twins across across the world. Exactly. I mean, if you want to get sort of macroscopic about it. Yeah. Twins in the sense that one has a thought and so does the other. Yeah, and the other's like, why does my hand hurt? It's like, because your twin hit her hand in the door. Exactly. So, or at least as people report. So... (laughs) Yeah, I'm uh, not giving (laughs) fake science here. I get that it's not real. So, entangled particles communicate with one another faster than the speed of light. It's very well understood. It's a quantum mechanical... And that's a thing that's real. That's real. It's not just like a, a dream everyone has. That's real. The problem is, if you want to do that in any way that matters to life, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, I don't know. There are two worlds. There's a microscopic world and a macroscopic yeah. world. When you talk about macroscopic things mm-hmm. and you want them to behave in a microscopic way, if you want them to behave quantum mechanically, it all gets sort of averaged out. The problem is you can have particles... Uh, entangled, but so are other particles trying to entangle in a different way at a different time. And all this becomes a one macroscopic classical physics problem where nobody is doing weird things like what happens in quantum physics. So the big challenge is, can you bridge the gap between the way matter behaves at its smallest scales, exhibiting the tenets of quantum physics and the large scales that we are familiar with interacting and that it's no known way you can end up doing that. And so right now it's a quantum mechanical curiosity. Okay. Yeah, you got it. But great question. Great All question. right. So here's this is from Michael. I heard that NASA has recently shut down an ion engine. Can you explain what this ion engine is and does and potential and the potential benefits? Yeah. So uh, an ion drive is mm-hmm. what we think of them as. You know, the, the big challenge here is chemical rockets are just Ugh, they're so they're, they're so, so yesterday. Yeah. They're so nineteen. They're so Robert yeah. Goddard. If somebody could build it in a farm and make a movie about it. <laughs> It's that easy and that dull and old. And the problem is not that there was anything wrong with with chemical rockets when they were invented. Yeah. It's just that 100 years later, you think we'd be doing a little better now, yeah. right? And we're not. We have something more modern, more efficient than a chemical rocket. And a chemical rocket is all the rockets you've ever seen. Yeah. All of them are chemical rockets. They use chemistry, the energy contained in in molecules. Right. Sounds like something that Thomas Edison would have done. <laughs> and how far have we come from that guy, that dullard? So, so you have this, th- these atoms and they come together as a molecule. Mm-hmm. And there is energy to be released if you break apart the molecule. That's how all this works. That's how gunpowder works. That's how nitroglycerin works. That's how the rocket engines or the shuttle works. So it's all chemical energy being released, giving you propulsion. Ion drives mm-hmm. are much more efficient so the what we call the impulse the the little push the nudge that the rocket fuel gives you is much higher 
compared with the mass of fuel you ejected, mm-hmm. right? You look at the the, 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 the the shuttle rockets and the plume that comes out when this thing launches, the mass of that fuel is huge. It is most of the mass of the shuttle apparatus is, is that fuel, fuel. Is fuel. So, what's the, so what is an ion engine though? So an what ion, is it? An ion engine, You what happens is you have a, a gas and you ionize it. So you strip electrons off of it. You need an energy source to do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you set up Use a, a device. You, you, <laughs> you set up a device that ejects these little particles out the back of the ship uh-huh. or whatever is the opposite direction you want to travel. And so what this, what's called a specific impulse, the impulse from the one little particle that comes out and the, res- the recoil of your ship is very high compared with the mass that came out. Very, right. It's a very efficient engine. So when you strip electrons, it creates way more energy. And, and When you strip electrons and then eject them out of one side, which you can do with magnetic fields and this yeah, sort yeah. of thing. It, it, the, the response to your craft is, is awesome. The problem is it's not very large. It's efficient, mm-hmm. but it's not very large. So you can only redirect spacecraft very slowly. Could you make a gun with it? Could you make an ion gun that shot electrons? When we come back, we'll find out if you can make can ion build this? guns. Uh, Star Talk Radio Cosmic Queries Edition. We'll be right back. back star talk radio i'm here neil degrasse tyson with eugene merman so we were talking about an ion engine but that made me go can you make an ion gun yeah you know with the the questioner asked an honest simple innocent question about propulsion through the universe Mm -hmm. you have to take the idea make a gun out of it Uh, would it be better if i said an ion sword this sounds less reasonable Uh, in principle, I suppose you can make an. It would be a plasma gun, is what uh-huh. it is. You, you you send plasma out at somebody. That sounds great. <laughs> that sounds like a great plan. <laughs> if the plasma is hot enough, you can vaporize their clothing and then their skin. Yeah, in, in principle, yeah. <laughs> you make it sound so evil. <laughs> <laughs> and this will be like on the list of the you know. Uh, protected yeah. by the Second Amendment. You know? Yes, will be. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they never envisioned the, the the ion plasma gun that so many founding, hunt bears the found, with the founding fathers. <laughs> yeah, we um, constitutionally protect your right to arm yeah. yourself with a plasma gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Jim Erickson. He asks: Can NASA give coordinates and a precise trajectory to launch uh, the corrupt and/or science ignorant politicians into a black hole? I think even I could answer that. The answer is yes. <laughs> NASA could give coordinates. The the corrupt or ignorant politicians. But the question is actually, can NASA give the coordinates and a trajectory? So it's like he has a rocket that he just needs. Oh, he doesn't need the rocket. It it, it sounds like he has the rocket, but what he needs is just, he's like, I'm not sure where to send it to the black hole. Like it wouldn't be enough to just send them into space with no way back. We've got coordinates of very many black holes in the galaxy. They're discovered by... Uh, X-ray telescopes, mm-hmm. and so the Chandra X-ray telescope, which is a telescope of magnitude Hubble, except mm-hmm. it's specialized in X-rays, not visible light. So, but you, people are not as cozy with X-rays as they yeah. are with Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, <laughs> green, blue, vi- indigo, violet. So, uh, yeah, we have coordinates of black holes, and there's a supermassive one in the center. So, if you wanted to send people to it, that's how you do it. However, yes, what's the, what's the limitation? The, there's the, always a catch. The with catch you. is. The more we want to send our politicians who mm-hmm. are corrupt or ignorant, I mean, at the end of the day, in a democracy, 
who voted for them? Okay, yeah. so so maybe it is the population we should be sending into black holes and not the politicians until the population learns right. how to elect right. a literate, scientifically literate politician. So I've stopped blaming politicians long ago. And, and, and blame the, uh, the voters. And, and as, just as an educator, my target is the electorate, not the politicians. Right. That's that's all. Right, right. We have a call. Uh, we we have actually a, have a caller. A caller. Excellent. Line. Yeah, let's Excellent. do it. Mm-hmm. Let's take this call from San Diego. Okay. And who is it? This is uh, Jeff from San Diego. Uh, Jeff, hi. Welcome to Star Talk Radio, Cosmic Queries Edition. Mm-hmm. So what do you got? So my nine-year-old daughter and I want to know, now that Curiosity's been on Mars for over a year... Wait, that sounds like it's really his nine-year-old daughter who wants to know. Yeah, he, yeah. He's trying to slide in on her, or he, on her he genius. Will, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, <Stop> Jeff. <laughs> so now that Curiosity's been on Mars for over a year, yeah. and they found that Mars had favorable conditions for microbial life billions of years ago. I threw in the microbial life part. Billions of years ago, do you think we'll find evidence of actual life first on Mars or on one of the new Earth-like planets that they keep finding? Oh, yeah, great question. So if we find life on Mars, it's not going to be like a civilization who's beaming radio waves to us. Right, it won't be someone playing our Elvis record. (laughs) It's backwards. Backwards. Back to us. (laughs) Yeah, because they don't get how it's meant to be heard. Yeah, so on Mars, it's the microbial life that we're eager to find. And to the biologist, I, I mean, I'm not a biologist, but I think I can speak for them when I say if they find any kind of life at all, whether or not we deem it intelligent, mm-hmm. it would be an amazing discovery, the greatest discovery in the history of biology, to yeah. find life that had formed independently of life on Earth, right, uh, on Mars or anywhere else. If, if there was water, it's sort of likely, right? Or no? Well, every water... On Earth, every place there's liquid water on Earth, there is life, even the Dead Sea, yeah. where people just didn't have microscopes to see life smaller than the resolution limits of their eyeballs. And so they say, therefore, it's dead. Yeah. No, you just don't know how to see yet. All right. So whereas these exoplanets, these planets that might be in the Goldilocks zones mm-hmm. around other stars, if we find life on those... Uh, we're not looking at it microbially. I mean, there are tricky ways we can invoke, uh, clever ways we can test to see if it has microbes. We'd be looking at, at what are called biomarkers. Mm-hmm. If the microbe emits methane, for example, yeah. methane is not stable on its own. It has to be churned out by some process, and life is something that can do it. You look for methane in its atmosphere or oxygen. Would we be able to find methane on one of the Keplars? With uh, with very uh, careful measurements, we are at the cusp of being able to look at the atmospheric chemistry of planets that are orbiting other stars. So uh, if we find – I I think uh, we're – it's more likely to find it on Mars. We'll find it sooner on Mars than on an exoplanet okay. just because the technology isn't completely there Because we're yet. there. We're on Mars. We're literally digging things up, eating them. A robot <laughs> is eating them, trying to figure out if it was once alive. Yeah, we're there. And when you're looking at exoplanets, you got to be really clever. You have to wait for the planet to pass in front of the host star and look at the light from the host star as it passes through the atmosphere of the host planet. And if the oxygen is there, it takes away certain signature of light from the host planet. When you describe this, I can't believe scientists have the patience to do any of this. <laughs> this is this is, yeah. Yeah. So uh so it's a great question. Uh, uh tell your daughter thanks for getting you to call in for, for yeah so tell her probably mars yeah prob- it's worse than that. <clears throat> I lost the bet she picked Mars. She picked Mars. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So thanks Jeff for calling in. 
Yeah. Thank you, guys. All right, great. All right, we got another question. Are you ready? And these are all from the internet, right? I mean, yeah, these questions are these ones right from now our website, to be from Facebook, the website, StarTalkRadio.net. Yep. And if you like us on on Facebook, just like us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah if you like us in real life, like us on Facebook. <laughs> I think is what Neil means. <laughs> and uh, on Twitter, StarTalkRadio. Yep, yeah, it's all there. Uh, okay, here's a question for uh, from Erasmo. Can you tell us about gravitational lensing technology for a space telescope? What are the obstacles and how far away are we from develop deploying? Uh, well, we know of gravitational lenses in space. Einstein, upon discovering mm-hmm. that gravity bends space, mm-hmm. he hypothesized that a particular configuration of matter could bend space in such a way that it can serve as a cosmic space lens magnifying stuff behind it in the universe. I can't tell if you're making up science fiction or telling me information <laughs> from science because you really like it's it's just on the border of like I don't know. It is all it sounds like a ring powered by will. It is all there and so Einstein made this prediction it would be 70 years or so, if mm-hmm. I can remember my timetables, about 70 years before we would discover the first gravitational lens. Mm-hmm. And they're all they're all over. They're kind of, you got to know what you're looking for because yeah. the lens can isn't just magnifying stuff in the background. Not all the lenses are perfectly, quote, shaped mm-hmm. to do what a normal lens would do. Some are like funhouse mirrors. So you can take a background galaxy and flip it left, right, up and down, distort it, and ma- make the I- image of the galaxy appear more multiple times because of that lens. And Mm -hmm. so previously we might've photographed it, but thought it was separate galaxies. It turns out it's one galaxy lensed by one disturbance of Mm space-time creating this funhouse image. So um, our space telescopes have found these gravitational lenses out there in space. These aren't lenses we're making in the neighborhood. No, they're huge scale and they require uh, a, a, a distribution of mass that we don't have control over right now. So how far, how, in how many years do you think we might? Never. Never. So around never? <laughs> you, you, need, <laughs> you need the mass distribution of what you'd find in a cluster of galaxies. Okay. And Sounds unlikely. Unlikely for us. Yeah, yeah but yeah. the Borg could do it for sure. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Duh. Made up collective. <laughs> Certainly have the, the resources. Um, all right. Uh, and here, here's another question. Oh, by right? the way, by the way, gravitational lenses allow us to see farther in the universe than our telescope might otherwise have permitted. So they 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 uh, magnify it. Yeah, they 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 help us probe the distant universe, but we don't create them. They just right. They're the, there. Nature makes them for us. Well, yeah. thank you, nature. <laughs> All right, this one's from uh, Jamie Robertson. Uh, could time have more than one dimension? Just as string theory requires more spatial dimensions than we experience, couldn't it be possible to have more time dimensions than we experience? I so mm-hmm. want I so want time to have more than one dimension. It's, yes. There's nothing compelling mm-hmm. that requires us to think that. But, but that, it, that, that it, it does or doesn't? That it does. There's oh, nothing okay. compelling us that requires that we have to think that time has more than one dimension. But if it did, that would just be cool. Is, is it possible? So, well, think about it. So if you if you go on to one of the time dimensions, time mm-hmm. would tick at a particular rate for you. Yeah, in, in base another, four. And in another dimension, it could tick at a different rate. Uh-huh. And if you go in a direction that's a hybrid of each of those two directions, mm-hmm. it would you, you would then hybridize the rate at which your time unfolds. That's no different from walking. Uh, you can go north or you can go east. Mm-hmm. If you only go north, you're not going east at all. Yeah. If you only go east, you're not going. If you go in between. Northeast. You go, you're going a little bit north. Yeah. A little, you go north, northeast. Yeah. 
East, south. So you, you're saying there could be time that's going north and time that goes east. In a sense. In, in, and in then a, you could pick a trajectory that gets you a little bit of one time and a lot more of another. That would just be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know quite how to think about that going forward. There's, we're not compelled to do so. When we come back, more Star Talks Cosmic Queries Edition. News ripped from the headlines. See you in a moment. Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with their no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. We're back. Star Talk, Cosmic Queries Edition. I'm your personal astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson, in studio with Eugene Merman, who's reading me questions from the internet, culled from our fan base, our listeners, and whoever else cared to write in to our website, to Twitter, to a Facebook page, to Google Plus, to Pinterest, go for. It. I haven't seen any I, of these questions before. I don't know how Pinterest works, but uh, <laughs> I, I believe seen, you. I haven't seen or I haven't heard seen or heard yeah. any of these questions. Okay. And and the topic is uh, science ripped from headlines. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's so do yeah. it. So here's a question. This one is from Alejandro. If an ancient civilization in Earth's history had made uh, geostationary satellites, would they still be in orbit today? Yes. There is nothing to uh, uh, to interfere with the orbit of a geostationary satellite. It is it is so far out, orbiting twenty two thousand miles above Earth's surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would that be in kilometers? I guess 
Eight. <laughs> so blatantly wrong. Uh, let's try 30,000. No, uh, yeah, about 30,000 kilometers up. Uh -huh. uh, you, if you're that high up, there are no air molecules from our atmosphere to slow you down and decay your orbit and drop you into the Pacific Ocean or anywhere else. So, yes, uh, it'll stay. It's basically will stay in orbit around the Earth forever unless some asteroid or meteor hits it. And But that would be an extraordinary um, fact. The, the dynamics are stable. We're good. But that would not be, for me, the most interesting fact here. It would be that we had a civilization from yeah, long that, ago. that had made, that had sent <laughs> something into space and we haven't found them. Right. And where are they? You know, are they underground? So I would be way more impressed that, <laughs> such, people. that such a civilization existed than that they put up a spacecraft. Right, right. All right. Um, so Ryan has a question. How can the universe be expanding and yet galaxies are swallowing each other? Wouldn't the push be a greater force or it has slow or has it slowed down? Uh, these people are totally getting them. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, so it turns out you we we're we live in an expanding universe yeah. and the farther away you are from a neighboring object, mm -hmm. the more manifest is the expansion of the universe. So if you are really close, the expansion of the universe is so small as to be swamped by your mutual gravitational attraction. So we and the Andromeda galaxy, mm -hmm. two million light years away, we are falling towards one another, even in the middle of the expansion of the universe. Because we are so close yeah. that our speeds and our gravity totally how, override. How, how, how quickly are we falling towards <laughs> each other? Or slowly, however you want to answer it. You're, so you, you're worried about the future of Earth. Um, yeah, I'm worried. Like, do I have to be worried about like Thursday or in like, or like 2020? Yeah, so. Like, is it not climate change, but a falling galaxy that I should be concerned We with? will collide uh, anywhere between six and eight billion years from now. And the sun will die in? Five billion years. Yeah, oh. So the sun is a much bigger issue yeah, of yeah. a concern for you. But presumably by then we'd be, able to, we'd be able to planet hop, find another solar system. So it's still something to think about, I think. And the reason why I say it's between that period of time, because a galaxy is not a solid – it's not a single point in yeah. space. It's a huge extended object. So at what point are we colliding? It's like polyphonic spree, which is a very big band, trust me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it takes a long time for galaxies to actually collide because yeah. they're so large and they're huge systems. Uh, we'll likely survive that. It'll just be a beautiful train wreck in the sky. Uh, stars are very far apart from one another. So our solar system is likely to stay intact throughout this entire journey. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the ride. All right. Yeah. Okay, here's a question. Uh, this is one's from Joseph. Is it possible that the universe isn't expanding, but that we're all just shrinking at a constant rate all the way to nothingness? <laughs> Seriously, wouldn't that look like expansion from our perspective? Wow, that's a great question. I'd have to think about that. Sure. If everything was shrinking. Hmm. But at the rate the universe is expanding, I don't know. It seems like we would have shrunk. Yeah, everything in the universe would have to shrink. But here's the problem. It's the universe itself that's expanding, not the things in the universe. Right, right. We're not growing. Right, exactly. Except for Americans. So I have to think more about that. Yeah. I bet that'd be a fun little sci-fi cartoon. I'm going to say physically, based on not knowing anything, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> but I like the idea. Yeah, it's a fun idea. I have to, let me, I have to yeah. think about that. Sure. Um, we'll get back to that. Would we be shrinking? 
Could we be shrinking at a rate that appears that the universe is expanding? Yeah, because all of our measuring rods would have to be shrinking with us. Well, we could be. Everything could be shrinking around Right, but us. that'd be an extraordinary thing if it were happening. It's not more extraordinary than just something expanding. I mean, we yeah. Have things expand all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, pick your extraordinary explanation and and – and this sounds I, like something they would have thought in the Middle Ages. I go with, uh, yeah, yeah. And then murdered anyone who was like, I don't know. I think it's expanding. Don't be an idiot. We're all shrinking. We're going to murder you. <laughs> We're going to liberate your soul. Yeah, exactly. That's what that is. Yeah, you relax. We've got okay. time for one more in the segment. What do you got? Okay, Martin, uh, he's writing from Norway. If warp drive technology actually works and you use it, how do you know where and when to stop? Ooh, no, you'd have a map. You, you would have the coordinate system of the hyperspace through which you're traveling. Yeah. Your, your normal normal maps wouldn't work. Excellent you question. Use, uh, you wouldn't use the Google Maps. <laughs> you'd be like, this iPhone can't guide me through hyperspace. You need a map that goes to the higher dimension through which you're traveling. And, and then you can land back where you were going. So you'd first map out hyperspace, and then you'd probably switch the hyperdrive on. Then you could switch your hyperdrive and land yeah. someplace where you need Safe. to be. Exactly. And go around rocks and whatever. Yes. Are there a lot of rocks in hyperspace? Uh, you want to map around asteroids and yeah. other destroyed planets. I mean, look at this asteroid belt of Earth. I mean, of the solar system. Yeah. That's, there's a lot of rocks there. Yeah, yeah. So you want to avoid things that could kill you before you got to your destination. Yes. Okay. <laughs> awesome question that was. This is Star Talk Cosmic Queries Edition. We'll be right back. back star talk radio cosmic queries edition eugene merman okay well, what's your twitter hand twitter, twitter handle is at eugene merman M eugene merman okay yeah. gotcha um all right all over it yeah okay yeah, get on it world on it. <laughs> um here's a question from ian uh i visit he writes i visited the creation museum purely out of a sense of mystified curiosity the recorded narration in their planetarium claimed that contemporary astrophysics predicted that certain stars were older than the known age of the universe and cited this problem as evidence against science and for young earth creationism i think this was a real astrophysical problem for a while but has since been outmoded by better models of stars i was hoping neil might tell me a little bit more about the problem and its solution which problem the problem that a creation museum exists at all i think the problem <laughs> that a which, which well, problem is that a creation museum <laughs> i think what it is is it's pointing to some outdated model of understanding science yes, okay so let's uh, let's unpack all of that yeah so for actually i have nothing specifically against a creation museum sure. just keep it out of the science classroom right right we, we live in a free country people could say whatever you want about sure. whatever that's just what, like the batman museum is not accurate <laughs> historically that's what it means to be fun free right just don't confuse it with actual science so, yeah um the so back when was it in the 90s mm -hmm. um there were measurements uh, this is before hubble Mm -hmm. settled all these questions the hubble telescope that is the we had measurements of the oldest stars mm -hmm. and they were coming in you know 18 billion years old and measurements of the age of the universe mm -hmm. that was coming in at about 15 billion years old mm -hmm. so uh that was it was an unsolved problem in astrophysics I don't you, know, it sounds like god exists <laughs> you when you can't, say that you can't be older than your mother okay uh -huh. that's the if you right, want to right. get a, a terrestrial version of that each of those are 
that was data obtained by completely independent, separate methods. Right. So uh, I was quite happy that they were in the same ballpark, right? 15 billion, 18 billion. Yeah. It's a few billion here or there. Uh, cosmically speaking, that difference is small. It's not one that's a thousand times older than the other. Yeah. Then somebody's not getting doing something right, okay? Right. So a few billion years on 15 billion years was, it was something, it was a problem to be solved, but it made much sexier headlines to talk about than what any... Then, so scientists were like, this all seems pretty reasonable. With more accuracy, yeah, we'll yeah, figure it out. That's how we were dealing with it. And yeah, yeah. everyone's like, oh my gosh, uh, how did you know? Because you know, they, they weren't considering what we call error bars. Mm-hmm. Error bars are you make a measurement, and what is the uncertainty of that number? The uncertainty in the 15 billion year age of the, of the universe was plus or minus 2 billion years. You see these error right. bars now, these uncertainty numbers in, in election polls. Right? Yeah. So they became familiar to people. What is the so margin of error? So now people understand that it's like, maybe it's 13 billion, maybe it's 17. Maybe it's 17. And now you have the 18 billion year old a star yeah. that could be, you know, that was 18 plus or minus two. Yeah. So the overlap in that it's is fine. Yeah, it's, it's fine. We, we, we don't, and so the Creation Museum uses science from the 90s to prove that science is wrong. Well, right, to, is all wrong. And the fact is, in a in a in a young universe, as mm-hmm. what is uh, uh, put forth by uh, creation folk, mm-hmm. uh, that is a universe that's not, it's 6,000 years, no more than 10,000. It's yeah, in yeah. the in the thousands, yeah, yeah. not billions. Right, okay, right. so these are, these are apples and oranges going on here. So, by the way, it's possible to have an error bar, an uncertainty range that is completely out of whack. That would mean there's a systematic error right. in your data, okay? Like so, the way that they thought they created what, fast tachyons or no? Yeah, that was a, yeah, that was a, a felt they found particles in the right. in the Switzerland yeah. that were traveling faster than light and either it was a blunder or they were actually traveling faster than yeah. light and we've never ever seen or measured anything travel faster than light which meant it was probably a blunder right it turned out it was a blunder just a yeah. complete blunder and that that happens so uh, so back then it was a fascinating story so right now the universe is is about 14 billion years the ages of stars all match up mm-hmm. we have better uh, measurements of what goes on inside of stars. And that all got resolved. Hubble helped out mightily right. in that. So that that's all that was going on there. So now everything makes perfect sense. All right. So let's uh, ask another question. Ready? Yeah. Go for it. Uh, what is the worst case scenario for misuse of the warp drive? Dan Owens. <laughs> What's the worst case? Quickly. Misuse of a warp drive? I don't even know what yeah. that means. Anything a warp drive drive is going to be good. Yeah. Uh, so misuse would be you use it to actually travel back in time. And then you and then you, you kill your you, you kill your grandparents and then you no longer exist. Depending who you are, maybe that'd be fine. <laughs> By the way, you don't ever have to kill your grandparents. No, just, you could just push them down. No, no, yeah, push to prevent them from ever having met. Yeah, right? you don't have to be bloody about it. You could, in fact, you could go back to your great 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 grandparents mm-hmm. and change the time they had sex. Okay, then you will not you have been born. You could just literally jump out of a closet and go ah. <laughs> And then you'd probably ruin your whole timeline. Okay. Then a different sperm, a different sperm fertilizes the egg, yeah. and you're never born. Perfect. Okay. Sounds like a plan. You folks are not creative. Yeah. When we come back, more Star Talk Cosmic Queries Edition. You know what shouldn't feel like rocket science? Planning a vacation your whole crew will love. With Carnival Cruise Line, it's all up to you. You can kick back or dive right into the fun. 
paddleboard in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship, from a ride on the Bolt roller coaster to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud Nine Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any of Carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick of restaurants from surf and turf to family-style Italian. Then settle in for an evening of live entertainment. Whatever your vibe is, you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell. So pack those bags, be sure to leave room for a few unforgettable memories because no one does fun like Carnival. Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, The Bahamas and Panama. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential and through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, Auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. We're back. Star Talk Radio. Neil deGrasse Tyson here. Eugene Merman. Cosmic Queries Edition. The lightning round. Yeah. The last round. This is all the stuff we, because I take too long to answer questions. Yeah. So we we'll got to go super fast. Go super fast. And I got, right. let me test the bell. You got it. Okay. Nailed it. Go. All right. This is from an 11 year old from uh, Shaney. Cool. She wants to know how could there be nothing before the Big Bang? Huh? <laughs> Neil? Uh, we don't know what was around before the Big Bang, and any respectable scientist will not tell you that there was nothing there. So there might have been something. There might have been something, and it could be the, the thriving multiverse that is where just one of the bubbles and it comes and goes, other bubbles are coming. We don't know. Thank wow. you. There was a party. You got it. All right, here we go. Theoretically. Oh, by the way, yeah, there's an episode of Family Guy yeah. where- Stewie takes his time machine and goes back to before the Big Bang. And what? Ha- and yeah. So what happens? There? There's nothingness there, just like oh. <laughs> she said. <laughs> there's not even space or time. I bet there was a Doors concert. And guess I bet what? Jim Morrison is there <laughs> writing his rhymy poems. And uh, that came about from a conversation, a lunch I had with Seth MacFarlane. Mm-hmm. He just started asking me, "Oh, tell me about the Big Bang." And I tell him about, it. and then I end up with a 
with a screen credit as science advisor to this Stewie going back to the beginning of the universe. That was cool. Uh, Next. Samuel. Okay, he asks, theoretically, could wind travel faster than light? No. no. Next. No, I mean. Yeah, what's the fastest wind could travel? Wind could travel like at the speed of sound. All right. That's basically. Fa- the, a little Mach 2? Uh, I know Mach, Mach 1. <laughs> I know, but I'm, I'm now upping it. Are you sure? It no, 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 because it has to can't get past other molecules that are in its way. So right. you can't have one piece of air travel fast. No. Okay. Next. Mach 1 it is. Yeah. Okay. Austin asks, Neil, what is your favorite or, in your opinion, most Wait, wait. I should say, so how fast does a molecule move? It bumps yeah. into the next molecule and yeah. sends that signal to the next molecule. Now, you can move a whole body of air together, yeah. and all the molecules are in there together. Mm-hmm. I suppose you could accelerate that whole thing. Yes. Okay. Could you have a hurricane that went faster than Mach 1? A hurricane is still moving embedded within another air pocket. Okay? Oh, sure, sure. So, no. Could the wind in a hurricane. Sorry, that's what I mean. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Great. Is Wizard of Oz realistic? No. Uh, <laughs> okay, Austin asks, Neil, what is your favorite or, in your opinion, most significant space exploration-related discovery of the last year or so? Oh, uh, uh, so I would have to say it was not a discovery. It was the fact that we were able to land Curiosity on Mars in the way we did. It was an engineering Rube Goldberg nightmare that turned out to be completely successful. And that test all the other ways we can now land on other planetary objects. Loved it. It was an engineering achievement, not a scientific achievement. Yes. Next. Okay, Mike Ward asks, does a black hole die like stars do? If so, what happens? Do they ha- go supernova and expel all the collected matter back into space? What happens in a black hole stays in a black hole. <laughs> no, uh, actually- that that's accurate though, right? <laughs> no. Uh, black holes actually evaporate according to a discovery made by Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 University of Cambridge fame, Stephen Hawking discovered something today we call it Hawking radiation. The stuff that goes in a black hole slowly evaporates out of the black hole until the black hole one day disappears entirely. So it's just gone. It's gone completely. Correct. There you nice. go. It's very slow. It takes 10 to the 100 years to evaporate a supermassive black hole. A Google years. A Google years. Yeah, yeah, sounds sounds reasonable. Next. Okay. If we bring an asteroid for mining into orbit around the moon, will we be able to see it with the naked eye? Depends how big the asteroid is. The one they're thinking of bringing in now? No. That one is about five feet across. You're not seeing that one. But a big one? Yeah. Bring it Bring it on. Watch it. Pull out your telescope. Check it out. And you could watch people mining. If it's big enough. Big, what's big enough? You know. What's big enough? Uh, Two miles? Mi- miles across. Miles. Miles. You'll do it. But not feet. Next. Okay. Yeah. Lightning how round. Do, Go. How, how do elements... Heavier than iron, such as uranium, form in stars. Oh, uh, yeah. So they don't form in stars. They form when the star explodes. Supernovae. There's all kinds of energy to burn. No pun intended, when a star blows up. So iron, which the star makes after it had started with hydrogen and helium, and it goes right on up the periodic table to give you iron, to make iron in its center. After iron, the star explodes. That extra energy continues to pump iron and... Yeah. Did I actually say that? Come yeah. On. Pump iron. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. It continues to pump iron. Yeah, yeah. It pumps particles into iron. They march into iron and make iron heavier. Yeah. And it builds all the rest of the elements on the periodic table, right up to uranium. Yes. Sounds like, that's, yeah, that sounds yeah. accurate. You got it. Ah. Uranium, by the way, named after planet Uranus. Next. Nice. Okay. Uh, Olivia wants to know, would it be safe to live on a planet or bring a pulsar? If so, would life on the planet be short-lived? Uh, it is not safe. You'll die. Pulsars are huge radiation sources, and radiation is not compatible. High level doses of radiation is incompatible with life. All find, right. Find it, there's plenty of other 
beautiful stars to to post your planet. Go. Uh, last question. I don't know. Go. Go. Last go, question. Go. We're, go. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, all right. Oh, last question. Go, go, go. Um, we often talk about observed cosmic events as having happened in the past. E.g., if a star goes supernova ten thousand light years away, yeah. you hear it described as happening having happened ten thousand years ago. However, since time is relative, wouldn't this mean that however far away we are from an object, any event we can't yet observe if we are not actually happen? If yeah. we are not moving significantly relative to that other object, yeah. another star sitting out in space, yeah. we're basically in the same time zone. So uh, we're cool. We don't have to worry about severe time dilation. It's relative when you're moving really fast relative to another object or place or thing, mm -hmm. then you've got these issues. But a, a star blows up in our – it's our galaxy. We're moving together in this. Yeah. We're, we're fine. We're fine. Okay. We got to run. That was been Star Talk. Lightning round. Cosmic Queries edition. Eugene Merman, thanks as Thank always for you. being on Star Talk Radio. And I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, booting you to keep looking up. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.